I love that song, 10,000 Reasons. It uh, reminds me, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were in India, northern India, in a no-fly zone close to China, and we were up at 12,000 feet on a prayer trek, and we sang that song in that environment. And so I always picture these white-capped mountains that go to 20,000 feet around us as we sat on a porch in our sleeping bags. Epic. Anyway, so thank you. All right. And you are here to read. comes from Romans 14. Um, we'll be reading verses 1 through 4, and that's page 948 of the chair Bibles. Romans 14, um, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person only eats vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Nice. Nice work, Toby. Thank you. That's awesome. All right. So here we go. This is Grace Life Bible Church. Uh, we're excited to be here. We're excited. We have God's word. We have God's spirit. We have each other. And so uh, knowing God, experiencing grace, growing in healthy relationships and impacting kind of out of a fullness, um, that is how we roll. We're resilient disciples who experience and extend God's grace. That's pretty much trying to try to get that as simple as, as I can. And um, I have great joy in extending grace in situations that maybe I would struggle years ago, you know what I mean, maturity, and I see in our body here, different people with tense tension, extending grace now and then, and I just rejoice. That's great. You know what I mean? So that's kind of fun. So yeah, our mission is to make disciples. That's, that's the task that Jesus left us with. And so uh, we experience his grace through knowing God and his word and experiencing his grace, and then we extend it, growing and impacting. So our four values feed the, the goal of making disciples. Okay? So we're in the middle of Romans. It's a unifying faith journey for Jew and Gentile, from ruin to righteousness, from division to unity, from bickering to unity and joy. And so the question we're asking today is, is your way of living out the non-essentials in the Christian life the right way? And if it's the right way, is it the only way? Do you, do you have room for other people who do it differently. Have you ever changed your view on some non-essential things? And if so, is it possible that other people might change their view in the future of something presently you disagree with? And how do we, how do we relate to people with whom we dis disagree? And so um, the underlying question here is, how are you doing giving up your freedom for someone else in those areas? We'll, we'll get there in, in time here. Um, just to review, Paul didn't establish the church at Rome. Some people, perhaps Jews, were at Pentecost, Acts 2 in Jerusalem. They hear the gospel. They, they believe Jesus. They take the church all the way up to Rome, and they plant it. And so Paul, trying to visit that church, he goes up there. There's Jew and Gentile tensions. Uh, most of the, in Rome, naturally, most of the church people there are Gentile. Strong element of Jews, and the Jews do church the Jewish way with the law. And the Gentiles do it very much not that way. So there's a bit of a tension here. And so I've shown you this before, but the Jews, the Jews were thinking, well, Abraham had a promise, but then the law came 430 years after Abraham's promise. So 
the law is the main thing. That's how the Jews thought. Paul shows up and he's like, no, actually, when Jesus showed up, he ended the law. The promise is the thing that continues. And so that is a tension that you see in many Old Testament, uh, New Testament books. And it shows up um, here in Romans 3. Uh, let me, they're, they're boasting. And listen to this. What then becomes of boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By the work of law? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That's his premise. You can find justification apart from the law. And that, that right there was just blew up the Jew Jewish world. Their entire culture, their economy, their theology, everything was being dismantled by what Paul said there. And so um, here's another, another graphic. So in Romans 10, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So the law starts anticipated at Mount Sinai, and it's realized at Mount Calvary. And so Paul's premise is that it's, it's over. And again, I just invite you to daydream. If you are a Jew, your entire, the way you spend every minute of every day, the way you raise your kids, the way you spend your money, your whole society, the political, every, every structure is based on what Paul is ripping away from you. And that would be very unsettling. And today we're going to see that some people who found Jesus from that culture weren't really free to give up aspects of their culture out of loyalty. It wasn't a salvation thing. They were just so used to doing that. They just like, I, I just can't not do the Sabbath. I just can't. I, I just have to abide by the dietary restrictions. And if you asked them, do you believe you're saved? Oh, no, I, I understand salvation isn't Jesus, but just loyalty here. And that's the tension here between the strong and the weak, and we'll, we'll get to that. So um, they've been bickering and, and arguing, and Paul starts in Romans 12 with this idea of transforming, renewing your mind. And so um, a transformed mind renews your community. It renews how you think about your enemies. It doesn't really renew the enemies, but how you think about the enemies. And then how you think about government. That was last week. And then your neighbor. And today we're talking about how a transformed mind changes how you think about the weak. And here we're not talking about weak like, oh, they're not saved. It's just a matter of conscience, how they live out their Christianity, all right? So instead of bickering and boasting and fighting and quarreling, Paul says, welcome one another and pursue the things that build up instead of tearing down, okay? So that's kind of where we're, where we're at. And so um, if you're married... You remember maybe when you're dating, you, you try to put on a pretty good face. Because, I mean, you're not married, and she could or he could run away. So the good face. And, and you know, you bring your special one before mom and dad, and, you know, like, oh, I hope they behave and be nice, and you know what I mean? And don't do that weird thing, whatever it is that you do. And anyway, and then... And, and it goes, well, then you get married, and then, then come the secrets, right? And then come all the Uncle Joe, well, here's the deal with him, or whatever it is. And it's just odd. And, and, and then you run into these, we these weird things, like how to load the dishwasher. And, and, and does the toilet paper hang against the wall or out in the middle of the room? You know what I mean? Like, what is going on with this stuff, and why is it so frustrating? I had a friend once who was very tall, and his wife is very short, and, and for years, he was deeply frustrated because his wife would not clean the house. 
Okay, she cleaned the house, but he could see the top of the refrigerator was never dusted, and in his mind, the house is dirty. Well, she can't see this. She would never think of cleaning the top of the fridge, right? And so it was one of those weird, those weird things. Anyway, so my point is, what is my point? <laughs> um, <laughs> we have differences, right? And, and if, if in the family you think my way is the only way, my way is the right way, okay, if both husband and wife think that, you're going to have a fighting family. You're not going to see eye to eye. And so sometimes when people come to church... You know, we try to have the good face. Oh, yes, everything's wonderful. Come, come to church. And, and really, what they experience is more of welcome to the fight. <laughs> it's not so much welcome to the family, it's welcome to the fight. You discover it's welcome to the fight, right? You were told it was a family, but it's more of a fight. All right. So anyway, we'll, um, we'll go to chapter 14, verse 1. Thank you, Toby, for reading this. But the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Don't quarrel. That's pretty much it. That's like all I got today. Okay, we'll unpack it and give you some examples, but this is really what he's saying. Welcome, and the, the, the idea of welcome, it means to welcome someone into your home, and I, I read this in a, in a book, with the collateral idea of kindness. I'm like, who talks that way? You know what I mean? Like, thank you for the collateral idea of kindness. Anyway, you get the idea. It's not just like frowning and, and begrudging. No, there's, there's some genuine affection here, okay? So, and again, the weak in faith, it's their convictions and how they come out. It has nothing to do here with salvation. Um, so he goes on in verse 2, for one believes, right there, stop. Remember in Romans 12, transformed by the renewing of your mind and what you think is so terribly important. And so believes, think. The one who thinks he may eat anything, while one, the weak person eats only vegetables, only certain things. Let not the one who eats Anything, despise the one who abstains and doesn't have the freedom to eat anything. Let not one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Now this, this is interesting. He's talking about food here in verse 14 and 20. He makes it clear that food is, is a big deal. Um, however, here, if you're familiar with this passage, there's nothing here that is like 1 Corinthians where it's food offered to idols. The whole idol context is not here. So we have to be careful not to like, We'll pull that in here and, and paste it on here. Maybe it's just not, not in the text. But anyway, um, Jews were typically avoiding food, uh, some meat and wine, because of how it was prepared or how it wasn't prepared, maybe kosher. Like Daniel, you know, in, in, over in Babylon, he abstained from the king's food and wine. And so some Jews here in Rome probably had that same model. It's like, we're, we're just going to abstain because we don't really know how, how, it's, how it's prepared. Um, okay, that's, that's fine. So... The, the trick, though, is because they grew up, these Jews grew up in the Old Testament mindset, and then they find Jesus, they just added Jesus to all that, the mechanism of the Old Testament, and it was so intertwined. Their culture, their Old Testament Jewish culture was so intertwined with their New Covenant faith that they, you, can't, you can't just yank one away because if you, if you yank away the Old Testament social culture aspect of it, they... they they're together. They're going to they're gonna crash their faith because they don't know how to separate those, okay? That's, that's the person who's weak in faith. The strong person is like, I get it. The, you know, Jesus ended the law, so now we're in the new covenant. Oh, I have some internal things. I used to do that. I don't do that, but honestly, over coffee, privately, yeah, that, it, it's kind of a stretch for me to not observe the law. I understand how I'm saved, absolutely, but 
I mean, I spent 40 years doing that. You can understand that. That would be hard for them to, to make that shift, okay? So the problem here is that the strong were despising, looking down upon, which means to reject with contempt the weak. And the weak were condemning, pronouncing doom on the strong. This is not a church of unity, all right? They each thought their way of doing Christianity was the right way and were belittling each other for not doing it that way. And Paul says, welcome, welcome the one who is weak. All right? Here's the, here's the principle. God's extension of grace to the community is a foundation for unity in the community. God's extension of grace to the community is the foundation for unity in the community. All right? So it's that grace. And this, this is where Paul has been going the whole book of Romans. He's like, you guys are divided and bickering, and the solution to your problem is the gospel. Now, on the face of that, I remember, being, I remember reading that. I'm like, I don't get it. What, what do you mean? Like just being saved? No, it's, it's how the gospel works. All are under judgment. The Jew, the pagan Hellenistic person, you're all equally under judgment. And without Without division, without discrimination, equally, salvation is through faith in Christ to all. And if you understand that the Jew, I'm not super special because of my Jewishness. I am alike with a Gentile, and, and he's not special because of his Gentile. We're equally bowing before the only one that can judge our hearts and souls. That's the unity. Therefore, okay, you come in here and you're different because I've been treated equally by grace, I should treat you equally by grace. How the gospel works is the key to the problem of division in this church and in our lives, all right? So, verse 4, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. There's language in here this week, I was studying this, I'm like, I just, I mean, surprised, a little uncomfortable, I mean, like, it's, it kind of, I haven't studied this passage for a long time this deeply. I'm like, wow, this is interesting. Paul says, who do you think you are? When you judge someone else and says you can't do that, you should do that, you're basically saying, I, I'm your master, and you should have my convictions. And Paul's like, who are you? You're not their master. God is their master. He's the only one that can, can give convictions, Right? Aren't you glad you don't come here and I hand out a list? Here's 13 things you should do. You better do these things. That's, that's weird, okay? Um, that's not what we see here, all right? So it's amazing to me. This, this is one of the thoughts this week, that I, a conclusion I came to that I'm like, wow. It's okay to practice Christianity differently than other people. That's what it says. And, and I'm like, Wow, because I ran into a couple weeks ago a brother, sister in Christ, I'll just leave it you know, vague, that was so radically different in the approach to God, the life of faith, than I, can ever, I can't imagine. I mean, I could easily write that person off because of 1, 2, 3, 4, 14, 15, 16, okay? But, but the Lord is using that person, and I'm so glad I was reading this because I'm like, I'll acknowledge, accept, and treat you as a brother and or sister in Christ. I needed that because it's so easy to go, oh, that's just, that's just weird. I, I don't do it that way, and so you shouldn't. And because you are, you're weird. 
That's exactly the problem here, and we get close to that more often than perhaps we realize, okay? So let me, let me test you in terms of non-essentials, and just, just listen to your own heart-mind tension when I say, um, if I announce, we're going to change the way we do church, we're going to get rid of all these chairs, put round tables everywhere, I'm going to talk for 10 minutes, and we'll spend 15 minutes talking around a group, a table. Is, is that like... Anti-salvation? No, it's just a different way of doing church. What if we say, we're no longer going to pass communion out to you. We're going to have it up here, and you all got to come up here to do it. Some churches do that. Some people will be like, ah, oh. okay. It's a non-essential. What if, what if we say, the worship team just has not enough volunteers. We're just going to pull the plug on that. We'll just play YouTube. That's a non-essential. How do we handle that, okay? Um, what if we decide to meet on Saturday nights? What if, what if, what if? And then there's alcohol and how to raise your kids and how to spend your money and all these things that we, that we just wrapped around the axle and we get pretty quick to, um, to wrap around the axle. So their culture and our culture is pretty much individualistic. It's me, my rights over the community. Like I come first. Paul is saying the gospel has the opposite thrust. It's the community first. And this is, this is why he says... We should be willing to give up our rights for the sake of community because Jesus gave up his right for the sake of the church. He died for the church, okay? So we've seen that before, but that's where he's going. So um, non-essentials, all right? Uh, one day, verse 5, one person esteems one day better than another while another person esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. I love this. We're not so, you know, in America, we, we, um, our main thing is like not having main things. We kind of do whatever we want. And uh, other cultures are, are um, more historically burdened or historically advanced. <laughs> I don't know how, anyway, I don't know how to say that, but they have, they have stuff, all right? What are these days here? These days, okay, we're talking about probably a Jewish community that has their anchoring in the Old Testament law, and they're talking about special days. It's like the festival days and the Sabbath. Right, and so they're coming together, and like, well, what do we do? Um, Paul's whole letter has been preoccupied with the Mosaic Law and the relationship to expressing faith. That's what he's been talking about. All right, so let's talk about the weak. Who are the weak? The weak are Jewish Christians. I said this before, but they don't have the freedom to step away from observing the law because they've been doing it so long. It's part of how they express their faith, and it's not tied to their salvation. Paul ends his little section here with a bunch of Old Testament quotes, and he uses words that are from the Old Testament, Leviticus, unclean, a dietary, unclean laws. And so this is a Jewish realm. He, you know, Jews would get that. Okay, Gentiles wouldn't get that. Um, they found Jesus. They couldn't bring themselves to ignore the food laws. All right? And Paul says, welcome them. Come on in. All right? They're weak because their faith was dependent on certain aspects of observing the law. They had their theology all tied up with their sociology, and it just it was tricky, all right? And what happened? They get very nervous when you start talking, when you start saying, hey, you, we, don't, we don't do the law here anymore. We don't observe the law here anymore. They're like, wait a minute. You guys are just going to be a bunch of lawless rebels. And remember back in Romans, there was a verse in Romans. Somewhere that, that um, Paul says, um, blah, 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 um, slanderously accuse us uh, for sinning as some do. 
kind of a paraphrase, but, but the idea was there are people out there that point to Paul and his disciples and Jesus like, y'all are a bunch of just loose cowboys doing your own thing, and, and if you believe them, you're going to throw away the law and just live a bunch of sinful, and that, th- this is an accusation that Paul got, and he's like, this, that's not what we're talking about, okay? So, they're acting out of loyalty. Um, in our culture, l- let me put this in, in our, um, our world. Some people, um, old people, like me, grew up in maybe conservative environments where, um, you know, you just can't. You can't dance. You can't drink alcohol. You can't go to the movies. You can't listen to this. You can't, you can't, you can't. You should, you should, you should. And, and I mean, I grew up with very grace-oriented parents. My dad was so gracious. I would do crazy things. <laughs> I broke our fireplace once. How do you break a fireplace? I got a box of alphabets, and in it was this glow-in-the-dark thing. I'm in high school. I took it downstairs, put it on the, on the slate, fire, took a big log and started bashing it. And I broke through the fireplace. <laughs> I'm like, Dad, I, I broke the fireplace. It's like, oh, okay, well, let's try not to do that anymore. I'm like, great. <laughs> he was super, super kind and gracious. Anyway, um, so back to the, the thing here. Um, we, we have differences on things, right? Um, when I went to college, there was a rule that you couldn't go to movie theaters. And I, I got a memo from the school that said, oh, there's this movie, Chariots of Fire, and, and you can go. And so before that time, the, the, I, I kind of in, in, I talked to the dean of men, like, well, what's the deal? Because, well, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a place where this, and no real good answer. And so then we got this memo. I went back, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. If the place is so bad, how come this movie makes the place not bad? And he had no answer. So it was one of those things. I was one of those students that was kind of pushing. Not rebellious, just like I saw some, some incongruity here. Um, so how would the weak feel if they see you doing some things? All right, let's, let's talk about um, culture changing, okay? This is the way the culture used to be. Uh, everyone would wear suits. All right, now, I'm going to use an illustration of dressing up in suits. If you wear a suit, not a problem. I wear suits now and then. It's just sometimes. But back in the day, the suit conveyed respect, and it no longer does. FYI, all right? So, um, culture changes. (laughs) Since today's a football day, I thought this was appropriate. Yeah, culture changes. So if I call my son, he's like, what, what, what's wrong? I'm like, well, I'm just calling to, what? Well, because you text now. You don't call. You call when someone dies. That's the, the younger generation. That's what, like, why are you calling me? Okay, that's just the way it is. Anyway, culture changes. Now, so suits no longer convey respect. Now, this is, um, this is um, Mark Zuckerberg. And he was before Congress in 2018, uh, the whole Facebook thing, and you know, getting sued and not sued, whatever. But he wore that suit. The New York Times called that the I'm sorry suit. Because if you Google Mark Zuckerberg, I mean, two out of ten pictures he's got, he's always in a hoodie or T-shirt. He does not wear suits. So New York Times said, well, he got caught, and this is I'm sorry suit, all right? I ran across this article. It's called How the Power Suit Lost Its Power. I'm just going to review some of this stuff. Um, It says, these days, when you're not in control, you wear a suit. So wearing a suit is admonition that you don't have power because if you had power, you would ditch the suit. The people that are tied to wearing the suit are service people like like Enterprise Rent-A-Car or other people that they they don't have the ability to jettison the suit, all right? Um, 
So when you're in control, you can wear whatever you want to, and it's rarely a suit. Sometimes it will be, but rarely, okay? And so basically, if you go someplace and you see people in suits, you're like, well, what's wrong? What's going on? Well, there's one story of a lawyer, um, all his... Um, Casual clothes were at the cleaner, so he had to wear a suit to work. He goes to work, and another uh, lawyer partner pulls him aside and goes, Hey, are, are you okay, like, working here? Um, are, are you applying for other jobs because you're wearing a suit? I mean, it was so unusual that, like, what, what does it mean that you're wearing a suit? Okay, I thought that was interesting. All right. Anyway, we'll, we'll, um, we'll get away from, from that. But imagine that your faith is so tied up in wearing a suit you just grew up that this is what you do, and you understand, I mean, in your head that, that it doesn't make me a Christian, and that's not salvation, but you just can't not wear a suit. And then the pastor starts saying, uh, suits are bad, and you should not wear them. Other people like, why are you? We don't do this. And, and, and they're like pulling you away from wearing a suit. But inside, you're like, but it's, it's part of like how I express my love to God. And, and everyone's pulling that away. That's what we're talking about here. That person would have a crisis of conscience because inside it, it's all tied up, all right? That's the weaker brother, all right? So um, a couple verses there. We'll, uh, we'll move on. So uh, the weak are weak because their, their theology is too wedded to their cultural traditions. The strong are strong because they understand theologically I have freedom and they have stepped away from other traditions that they can step away from. But the strong are also called to be strong only when not of the presence of the weak that would cause them to have that tension and confusion. All right? So, so the strong understood scripture shapes their culture. They read scripture and they're like, ah, the promise ended the law. So I'm going to step away from the covenant, old covenant. The, the weak, they, they allow their mosaic culture to shape their understanding of Scripture, and they're like, I, I, can't, I can't step away from this because it's, it's, too, it's too wedded, all right? So as we look at this text here, there's one thing that I'm amazed that Paul doesn't say. If you're ever reading Scripture or a good book or whatever, it's, it's sometimes worth asking what is the author not saying here? Because that is very insightful, okay? If you understand authors are intentional, if they don't say something, it's, it's probably intentional. There's a good story at Sherlock Holmes. It's called Silver, Silver Blaze. It's about a racehorse. And um, this racehorse, someone steal, breaks in, kills the trainer, steals the horse, and Sherlock Holmes is, like, solving the mystery. And part of the mystery is this dog, and there was, there was a witness that said, you know, blah, blah, blah. The, the, the dog never barked. And so Sherlock Holmes tells Watson, well, the key to this mystery is the dog. And Holmes, uh, Watson is like, well, what, the dog didn't do anything. What are you talking about? And Holmes is like, exactly. Because the dog didn't bark when the assailant went in. The dog knew the assailant. So, so sometimes what's not said is important. And what does Paul not say here? He never says, the weak must move towards being strong. doesn't say that. He just says, let them be where they are. Open the door. Would you? I wouldn't. I'd be like, let's teach. Let's encourage. They need to enjoy the freedom. Let's have a class, you know, just for you, so you can get up to speed with us. We wouldn't sell it that way. But you know what I mean? That's kind of what we're thinking, okay? So he never says that. He lets them remain weak. He says, don't change them. Uh, he doesn't say mature them. He says, welcome them. 
welcome them in love. And so here's the deal. Paul says it's okay if the former Jew wants to continue to observe the Sabbath and to abstain from meat and wine. Let him continue. Bring him in. Let him continue to do that. And it's okay if another Christian chooses to abstain from that and stop doing the Sabbath and load up on meat. And, not load up, but just eat my meat and wine. Okay? So he's like, neither of these are sin issues. They're non-essential. So just bring them in and have unity. And here's, here's a, little, a little bunny trail on unity. Unity is not sameness. If everyone's the same, I argue you cannot have unity. That's just sameness. Unity thrives where there are differences and they're overlooked for a greater common goal, okay? So they, um, that's what they're doing there. Neither are wrong. But our first reaction is typically, well, we need to get that person on the treadmill to move towards being strong. And, and that, is, that is a goal and, and that might happen, but it's the attitude of the difference of you're welcome in order so we can fix you or you're just welcome, and, and you're on that arc of redemption, and the Holy Spirit will, will mature you in time, 10, 20 years, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just roll with you and, and love you as Jesus loves us, all right? All right, so, interesting. What if a church is like a King James-only church? Don't you kind of want to just like, well, let's have a conversation, here are some resources. Why? You know what I mean? And we start to... Now, it's, it's different. Uh, it, here, we're not going to quarrel about non-essentials. We'll discuss them. Yes, we want to discuss them and like, why this, that, and, and okay, that's great. Quarreling is different than discussing, all right? So welcome the, welcome the discussion. We learn um, but uh, quarreling. You know, we have, we have drums. We have carpets. It's, it's like, ooh, what does that mean? <laughs> You know, I don't think a lot. <laughs> it's, just, it's just what we do, okay? So, anyway, um, first century Jews couldn't separate their tradition from their practice. And so, um, we're back to this idea that we're invited to think about other people more than just my own rights. And that part right there is a tough sell in our world because we're bombarded with your rights. And you, you can do, no, don't let anyone make you do anything. And then here, we're invited to take a legitimate, truthful principle and, and, and a right way might have and just set it aside because someone else is technically wrong. They're not understanding it accurately or fully, and so our behavior is limited for them. And, and if you're a normal American, you're like, well, that ain't going to work. <laughs> you're like, what are you talking about, right? But that's the spirit of love in this community. The strong bear the weight of, um, well, so-and-so doesn't like those kind of movies, so let's just see this movie instead. And you don't tell them, you're like, oh, well, we were going to go to that movie because you're here. We all had to come. You don't do that, right? Okay, it's in a spirit of love. It's like, hey, I'm glad you come along. Let's do this. We're going to this movie and whatever it might be. All right. So here's, here's where Paul is, is, is going. Uh, the first verse, he says, ask for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. You know, don't quarrel. And he ends this section, 15.7, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Not for your own glory. And in the middle, kind of they got the chiastic thing. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual building or upbuilding, building up. This is what he's doing. This is, this is his, his argument. Welcome them, build up, don't bicker and tear apart, okay? 
And then uh, verse 6, he talks probably about the Sabbath, the one who observes the day, observe it in honor of the Lord, the one who eats. He eats in honor of the Lord. See, they're, they're convicted or con- they're convinced that, that I'm doing this or not doing that because this is what God wants me to do. And, God, and the point here is like, well, they're doing it sincerely. Let them do it sincerely. Don't get in there and mess with, with their, their conscience as though you're their master, okay? So this is probably the, the Sabbath day. Brings up a good question. Do we need to observe the Sabbath? First off, I was like way into college before I learned that the Sabbath was not Sunday. It's Saturday. I remember like, what? Because you grew up as a Christian person. You do the church thing on Sunday, and then you hear some words, blah, 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 Sabbath, blah, blah, Sabbath, and you just match them. Like, oh, the Sabbath must be the Sunday because I go to church. And then, and then someone says the Sabbath is Saturday. I'm like, what? And so it is. It's the, the last day of the week. But where does the Sabbath come from, the Sabbath rest? The, the Israelites way back in, in Exodus were slaves in Egypt. God delivers them through the ten plagues, the Passover plague, and then he institutes the Sabbath rest. Every seventh day there to not work. And the, the context is you have spent hundreds of years being forced to work, and you have been told you have no value apart from your work. And God is like, you have value apart from your work. I want you to not work here and just rejoice in the fact that you are still loved by me, even though you're not working. I have a a Jewish guy I listen to, um, podcasts and stuff. He has kids, and he taught his kids on the Sabbath. Little kids run around the house, and, and, and they say, uh, we rest, we play, no work, God loves us. And I thought that was a beautiful mindset of the Sabbath, right? We rest, we play, no work, God loves us. God loves us even though we're not working, okay? And so that's, that's a pretty um, challenging concept. All right, so the Sabbath is a time to worship and reflect. It's a time to rest and recover. And I think it's a time for hope because it reminds me my value is not tied to my production. My value is not tied to my work. I can not work, and I'm okay. Interesting, isn't it? All right. So um, the certain day, certain day kind of thing. Now this, this also, um, there's differences here. I, I, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. I just want to get it to it again. Sometimes theology can unite, and sometimes theology should divide. So here we go. To the Pharisees that uh, rejected the gospel, okay, they're not on the same page as Jesus. Jesus wasn't all like, oh, well, whatever, okay? No, then he said, whoever is not with me is against me. Like, if you don't embrace me, the gospel, and, and, and God the Father, like, you're, you're not even on the team. You're, not, you're, you're against me. But then, later on, John said to his teacher, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. We tried to stop him because he's not following us. See, he's doing his faith differently. Jesus said, don't stop him for one does... For no one does a mighty work in my name will be soon after to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against me is for me. There's great latitude there. Like, oh, they're doing this thing and it's different. Let them do it different. Isn't that interesting? So there are fences. There are theological fences, right? I will quarrel about the deity of Christ. Absolutely. Because without that, it's just, let's just go golf or something, you know, because nothing matters. But, but um. I can think of better things than golf. But anyway, it's a figure of speech. So um, if you're not against us, you're for us. If you believe the gospel, you're just doing it differently. There's latitude for that. And then he goes on here and says, 
uh, whether we live or die, we're the Lord. So, so the Lord is the, he's the Lord of the eater. He's the Lord of the not eater. He's the Lord of the observer of the day. He's the Lord of the not observer. And so it's just, again, unity. Before the ultimate judge, we bow and fall. And that's the point he brings up here in Isaiah 45 in verse 10, 11, and 12. Um, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. So then each of us will give an account to God. Here's the bottom line. You will not give an account of yourself to someone else in this room or anybody else. You, we give account to God. God might convince, convict us or say this is not for you in a season of life. And okay, since I think this is how I'm supposed to live my life, I'm not going to do that. Whatever, whatever it may be. We give our account to him because he's the ultimate judge. Um, and then verse 13, don't pass judgment on one another. Look at this. But rather decide, that's a thinking word, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus. Nothing is unclean. See that? Like All this stuff is okay, but we're not driven by our rights. We're driven by love. And my rights negatively impacting your conscience is a problem, so I'll dial back my rights. So I found a chiastic structure. Um, Kind of cool stuff. Look at this, Romans 14. Never put a stumbling block or hindrance. Um, it's good not to eat meat or don't, don't cause your brother to stumble. And then we have, he says, nothing is unclean. He says, everything is clean. And then we have, uh, by what you eat, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. Don't, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. And then in the middle, this is, you know, chaotic structures, typically the middle is like the highlight if they could have bought yellow highlighters, this is what they highlight, okay? So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This is his point. This is what he wants them to go home with. Um, all right. So verse 15. If your brother is grieved by what you do, you're not walking in love. So love is the thing that drives how we use our freedom. By what you eat. Don't destroy the one from whom Christ died. And so this... this um, this word destroy is, is interesting because some people look at this, and, and this word is used of, of people going to hell, like, like um, their souls destroyed. Like their, but, and so some people like copy that idea and paste it here, like, oh, if, if a strong brother f- kind of pulls a weaker brother to a church social and, and encourages and sort of makes him eat a hot dog, he's going to hell. Wow, I don't think so. I mean, but that seriously, are we really to think that, that just because a strong brother misleads a weaker brother and, and uh, that the person's like, they're, they're just, well, sorry for you, You're, go ahead and leave. That's not what it's talking about. There's four reasons why this does not mean eternal destruction. That's one. The second one is he's been talking in chapter 8. Nothing shall separate us from love of God. Hyeth and death, nothing. Okay, so, so the love of Christ isn't fickle enough to be thrown off by someone eating a hot dog, even against their own conscience, okay? Um, destroy, the word destroy has a broad meaning. It can mean killing. It can mean spoiling. Um, the opposite is to build up. So that gives us the idea, well, then it, the, the, the idea is to tear down. Um, and the other one is, is elsewhere. Jesus says, well, don't fear man who can't destroy the soul. Fear God who can. Just, so it's not in our realm. It's not like, I, like we can, even if you tried to do that can't do that. All right. He's talking not about eternal soul destruction. He's talking about discipleship destruction. You, you derail them, and they're, they're no longer 
on the, the interested in Jesus or growing. Um, so it's destruction of discipleship, all right? Uh, because they, they inappropriately tied those things together. Um, and then he says, you know, Jesus died for these people. Is it too much to ask you strong people to just dial it back so you don't destroy them and destroy the discipleship? Can you do that? Right? Isn't that interesting? When you look at Jesus dying for these people, you know, it's like, calm down. Give them some space to grow. All right? Why? And it says, so don't let what you regard of as good be spoken of as evil. Why would it be spoken of as evil? Well, because you're blowing people up. You're tearing them down. You're, you're, you're ripping them down and causing them great internal conflict. All right? So, um, and there's verse 19, pursue what makes for peace and building up one another. The, the, thing, the thing here in this passage, there are a lot of things between the command, do these things, the command, don't do those things. There's a lot of stuff in between that just we can do it or not do it. And wisdom, wisdom drives those things. Wisdom and love drives those things. So if you're a kind of Christian that you're looking for the list, what do I do, what do I not do? You're missing the point. The point isn't just do this and don't do this. The point is, how do I learn to love and how do I grow in wisdom with the Spirit of God, walking through my days, complex relationships? That's, that's where we live, okay? All right, so again, pursue what makes up for peace and for mutual upbuilding. This, this is his bread and butter. This is what he wants us to, um, to do. All right, and so then, verse twenty and on, he talks about food. Don't destroy for the sake of the food. Everything's everything's clean, uh, but if it makes someone stumble, then don't. And look at this, verse twenty-two. This blows my mind. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Zip it, Skippy. <laughs> Shut up. Stop pushing people to do what they don't want to do. They're on a growth trajectory like you were. How many of you have changed your views, right? This is what I'm, give them space, love them, accept them. And in time, they'll be like, hey, so what, what do you think about wearing a suit as it, as it relates to my salvation? Because I, I just grew up in, like, oh, that's a great question. I, I understand that. You know, I, I used to do this thing here, and I understand in Christ we have freedom, and, and our salvation is entirely based on Jesus. So you can do that, or you don't have to do that. It's not going to impact your salvation, but you're, you're welcome here. Wear the suit, don't wear the suit. We just love to have you. See that? That attitude is the open door attitude, and, and there's, there's, um, we're not quarreling. We're welcoming with a collateral idea of kindness. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was so funny. All right. So we refrain from leveraging our power and authority because that's how Jesus did it. All right. Uh, chapter 15, 1, the final little section here in this bigger section. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. So, I mean, if you technically ask, okay, well, Paul, 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 who's right? Well, Paul in private would say, well, the, the strong are right. But see, the thing is, the strong will never tell you they're right. That's the point. They're never going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm strong, and so I'll do this for you. No, it's all under the cover with with kindness, welcoming. See, see what I'm talking about? It's an attitude of what we do, not just trying to like, well, but, you're, but, you, but you don't understand yet, and I want to fix you and your understanding, so here's a class to help you catch up with us. That's not, that's not the spirit. Therefore, verse 7, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God, not for your glory. All right? 
Christ and the gospel, how he in, interacted with us, that's our example, all right? So, when you come to church, th- this is how it looks. Welcome to the family, not welcome to the fight, right? We, we have a family here, and we, we choose not to quarrel over little tiny things. We have fellowship, we have picnics, we, we, we enjoy that, and um, there are some differences, there are some non-essential differences, and, and, and take someone out for coffee and just gently like, well, tell me why you believe such and such, because I just, I just, I don't, I'm not sure I can get there, but I want to hear from you, all right? And I value you. That would be, that would be a win. Um, when you disagree with somebody, sometimes people take the issue and they put it on you, and they're, and like you, you and I are talking, they take the issue, so I disagree with this issue, so therefore I disagree with you, see that? The mature person is like, okay, here, yeah, here's the issue over here. You and I are good. I, I like you. Uh, I don't agree with that over there, and I know you believe that. You see what I'm saying? You separate their idea from their identity so that we can love them even though we disagree on the non-essentials. So that's, that's the deal. All right. So a couple of key questions. How are you setting aside your freedom for someone else in non-essentials who is on their way to maturity? That's what the strong do. How are you handling disagreements over non-essential things? Grudgingly or with collateral acts of kindness? Lord, thank you for being kind to us. You meet us, and we are just a mess. We're locked up in all kinds of this and that and weird shame things and blame things and guilt, and you just accept us as we are on our worst day, and you start in our hearts this long-term understanding of who you are, We're glad that we found you in terms of salvation. I pray that we would continue to find you in terms of what it means to just live out our our, our faith. And when we run into people who are kind of convinced about a certain non-essential thing, may we just be kind and gracious and focus on what we have in common and, and, and do our part in presenting the church as a body of loving unity. Amen.